Good morning, Redemption. My name is Tim, and I'm a member here. Today's reading is found from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. Let's pray before we look to God's word here. Father, we ask that you would use the words that Tim has just read for us today to shape us, to encourage us, to give us a sense of perspective even as to why our spiritual maturity really matters and what it's ultimately a part of in a bigger picture. God, we ask that you would help us to bring this book to a close as we look at verses that often we may be tempted to breeze through and breeze past Uh, God, but we pray that you would help us to see the beauty. We pray that you would help us to get a glimpse of the personal nature of Paul's life and ministry, and even the relationship between this church, other churches, and the broader body of Christ, to see Christ proclaimed as all in all. And so we pray, God, that you'd give us that perspective today. Would you you help us to, to, to lift our eyes off of the circumstances of our lives to set them on the things of heaven today. And as a church, would you help us mature to that end as we think of this mission to declare Christ in all the world. We pray now in his name, amen. Well, today we'll bring our series through Colossians to an end. 
um, which is really too bad. I've really enjoyed looking at this letter together. Uh, in it, Paul has been encouraging the church in Colossae uh, toward maturity. This is his aim. And he's done that by painting an incredibly compelling picture of, of who Christ is, starting back in chapter one, that he is all and in all, he is preeminent over everything. And then he's done this by reminding us and celebrating this incredible truth that we've been redeemed into his body. And then he's done this by encouraging us to walk together as members of his body. As a pastor, as a church planter, this letter really resonates with me because it describes exactly what I hope to see God do in the life of our church. That we would be mature as Christians and as a church family as we make Christ all together in all of life. As a pastor, much of my time is spent talking even and praying and thinking with many of you about next steps in your own walk with Christ, including many of the topics that we've covered in this book. Your involvement in the life of our church, your family life at home, your work life, many other things. And I love that. <laughs> I love that part of my job, especially after this series and looking at this letter. I have this renewed sense of understanding. That is really important work. That is central, I think, to my calling, but even just our life together as a church. And yet, what I have found, uh, both in church planting and in my walk with Christ, is that you can only mature so much by focusing on your own maturity. At some point, really growing mature will require us to sort of zoom out a bit and to see a much, much bigger picture than just us and just our church. As much as I love my weekly rhythms and connecting with you and what's going on in your life, the life of our church this week, it's also been really important to me in my ministry to zoom out, to, to see what God is doing in our church at large, and, and not to mention beyond our church, in the church at large, connecting with other pastors, missionaries, church planters. It just gives me a certain sense of perspective. In many ways, we, we launched a Mission Talk podcast. It's kind of the, the heart behind that, is to help us zoom out in that way, to see what's going on and what God is doing in all the world there is something so encouraging in knowing that as important as our spiritual maturity is as a church, we are not in this alone. We are part of something much, much bigger. It even spans the centuries. And part, I think, of our maturity even includes recognizing this. It includes recognizing what God is doing in all the world at all times and, and in a sense, joining him here in doing that. It means seeing our everyday lives and the week-to-week -week ministry of our church as if it is part of God's great plan to redeem all things. That, I think, is the point of our passage today. Paul concludes this letter by really zooming out quite a bit to encourage this church of the bigger picture. Most of this letter, you'll notice, has been inward focused for this church. It has been about them and their staying steady and stable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's about their spiritual maturity and their walking together with Christ. But in particular, Paul turns his attention here at the very end of the letter to the broader church's mission. 
to declare Christ together to the outside world. He calls the Colossians to play their part in that. He also reminds them that they are not alone in doing this. In the same way as a relatively new church uh, that is striving together towards spiritual maturity, I want us to be encouraged today uh, by Paul's, Paul's words in the same way. I want us to be encouraged, in particular church, that there are many laboring with us to declare Christ in all the world. There are many who are striving to be presented mature in Christ. Our spiritual maturity even does not just depend on us and we are not alone as Redemption Church in striving for it. There are many Christians and many churches striving with us. And the truth is, we're even swept up, if you will, in this worldwide mission to declare Christ so that more and more will be joined in and more and more will mature and grow with us. We need that perspective. As Paul told us back in chapter one, he said, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in him. Let's not lose that perspective. Let's not lose sight of this as we walk together in Christ and strive towards maturity. Paul's goal in our passage is to make sure that we don't. It's to encourage us with this bigger picture. And so as he zooms out to encourage us with this bigger picture of Christ in all, being declared in all the world, Paul is gonna tell us first how to pray, then how to walk and then why to take courage. And again, these are basically all applications unto themselves. And so that's it for today. Three points, and we'll kind of apply as we go. How to pray, how to walk, and why to take courage as we set our sights on declaring Christ in all the world. First, we're gonna see how to pray. In particular, he wants us to pray for the word to keep advancing in all the world. Look with me uh, first in verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, interestingly enough, uh, this first instruction is actually not about declaring Christ in all the world or the word advancing because the word had already advanced to Colossae when the members of this church first heard the gospel and believed. And so Paul first wants to ask this church to be watchful in prayer for themselves so that the word would not lose ground, in, in essence. Throughout this passage today, Paul uses a lot of kingdom, war kind of language. He talks about being imprisoned for the sake of the kingdom. He talks about the doors opening for the word to move, right? This is another example of that. To be watchful means, basically, to stand guard. It means to be on the lookout for threats. Picture a watchman uh, sort of staying up late into the night, perched up on a city wall, kind of scanning the horizon, looking for enemies. He is being watchful. He, he, he's not at ease, just kind of hanging out, assuming everything's gonna be fine, oh, don't worry about it. No, he is alert, he is ready, and he is assuming even that something may go wrong so that if it does, he'll be ready to address it. This is how Paul wants us to pray, watchfully, being aware of any threats that may come to the spiritual health and maturity of our church. But when we're on the defense in this way, uh, it can have a tendency to harden us. 
Uh, we can get so wrapped up even in, in spotting potential threats that those uh, may become foremost in our mind. We start to lose sight of the bigger picture even and why it is that we need to be watchful. Well, Paul tells them here, well, don't do it that way. Be watchful, he says, with thanksgiving, right? In other words, be watchful, be on guard, be alert, but look, do it with thankful hearts. Be watchful in prayer, remembering that Christ himself had to die and rise again. God himself had to deliver us out of darkness to get us into this kingdom we're being watchful for in the first place. And he did. He's done that all because of his grace. And so look, don't be watchful in a grumpy way. Be watchful with thankful hearts. But again, there's a connection, again, between this defensive prayer, be watchful, and the rest of our passage, which is very offensive. Ultimately, we need to be watchful in this way because with every local church like ours, within every church, God has done something incredibly special. He has revealed the mystery of Christ to the members of that church. In every single church, he has qualified them to share in the inheritance of Christ. He has delivered them out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. In every church, he is knitting them together in love as his body here on earth. It's almost as if in doing that, ground has been gained in this great big spiritual war about the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness. Ground has been gained. But here's the point. If we are going to stand our ground in this battle, if we are going to stay rooted, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, if we are going to be presented mature in Christ, all the things Paul's been after throughout this entire letter, then we will need to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. This is the first way Paul asks us to pray. We need to rely on the Lord to preserve even our church as if it is a vital part of all that God is doing in all of the world, which is the second way Paul asks us to continue praying here. He said, at the same time, he says in verse three, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, the first thing I want us to see, there's a couple things to notice here. First thing I want us to see is that clearly Paul saw the verbal preaching of this word-based message of Christ as the centerpiece of his ministry. This is why he wants God to open a door for the word so that he can declare the mystery. He even asks that they would, he would make it clear, which he says is how I ought to speak. And so more so than just helping people in Jesus' name, more so than creating spiritual communities even, Paul was on a mission to declare the mystery of Christ, and he was on a mission to declare it, again, with clarity. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, this Paul preached with clarity, and Paul spoke in simplicity even, on purpose, so that God's power would be on display, rather than his eloquence. 
which is the next thing I want us to notice about this prayer. God, he, he, he needs God's power to be on display, even in this request, even though, as Paul mentions here, he was in prison for preaching the gospel, even though he's already told us that he toiled and he suffered to preach the gospel, Paul asks this church to pray that God would open a door for the word. Why is that? I think it's because he knew that even though this mission took everything he had to give it, ultimately every detail of his work was utterly dependent upon God. If the word of God was going to continue advancing, then he needed God to open doors. He needed God to make that happen. He couldn't just do it on his own. And so Paul asked this church to pray defensively, being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Then he asks them to pray offensively, that God would open doors for the word to keep advancing far beyond Colossae, far beyond their church, so that everyone can be presented mature in Christ. And I think, church, the application for us today is pretty simple. Let's pray in this way. Let's pray for the word to advance in all the world. There are so many things we could pray for, so many things we should pray for. Uh, We should pray for trying circumstances that we face in life. Uh, We should pray for our health and the health of our loved ones. We should pray for our church and its various ministries. We should pray for wisdom and making difficult decisions. Absolutely, the list goes on. But how often do we think to pray in this way? How often do we think to pray that the word of God would advance in all the world? It, It may seem like there are far more pressing things to pray for. There really aren't. Uh, It it may seem like this has very little to do with our church and our practical everyday lives. It absolutely does. Church, let's pray that hearts and minds would be changed in all the world as the scriptures are read and taught. It's so simple, but it is oh so central to God's purposes in the world. In particular this morning, I wanna let you know about a ministry that's been incredibly helpful to me and a ministry I wanna ask you to pray for. It's a ministry I pray we would partner with uh, over the years, and that is the ministry of Simeon Trust. Uh, The Charles Simeon Trust is named after a really well-known English preacher from the mid-1700s, and it is a ministry that only focuses on equipping pastors, leaders, and church members to do faithful expository preaching. If you don't know what that is, it's exactly what I'm doing right now. It's, it's the method of preaching that we think is central to the life of any healthy church because we believe this is what we need, is for the word of God to do the work and for the word of God to advance. The point of expository preaching is that we open the Bible, we read a specific text of scripture, and then the whole point of the sermon is to explain and apply that passage. The point of the sermon is not to use the passage to say a bunch of interesting things, but actually to preach the message of the particular passage to get done what God seems to be trying to get done in that passage. See, there's a lot of confusion about what preaching is meant to be uh, and, and what it is, the goal of it is. Uh, I want us to see here the way that Paul talks about his work that the goal is not just to impress people with new groundbreaking insights or to attract and entertain people with vague anecdotes and, and personal stories. The goal of preaching is to say what God has already said in the word. 
in the text of scripture. And it's to help people understand what that means then for us today. And this is what Simeon Trust equips preachers to do. I see this being a vital ministry to pour into in the years ahead. Every year I attend a Simeon Trust workshop with 80 to 100 different pastors and church leaders at Crossway Church in Bristol, uh, Wisconsin, which is a church that I, I absolutely love. It's a great church. I have a lot of respect for them. We've sent a group of women to a women's conference there recently, had a great time. And over the years, I will be bringing church members with me who want to learn to teach and preach the word of God to make the mystery of Christ clear, which is how we ought to speak. Uh, this year, as our family has been preparing to adopt from India, I've also even been exploring partnerships of how we can work with Simeon Trust to make these kind of workshops happen in India for pastors laboring there. So please join me in praying for these specific opportunities uh, and for the ministry of Simeon Trust that God would use this ministry in our church as well as for pastors and churches in all the world to declare the mystery of Christ, again, from the word with clarity, which is how we ought to speak. Let's pray together, church, on a regular basis. Please pray that the word would advance. Next, as Paul keeps zooming out here, he tells the Colossians how to walk, and specifically, he means being wise with our time and our words. This is how we need to walk, especially as we think about declaring Christ in all the world. We need to be wise with our time in our words. The idea of walking has been a really important theme throughout the book. Obviously, Paul does not mean just putting one foot in front of the other. He's talking about a, a metaphor here for the way that we live all of our life. But in this case, in particular, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The first thing I want us to see here is that Paul had no problem placing all people into one of two categories. Either those who are redeemed by faith in Christ and gathered into his body, or those who were outside of the body of Christ. Some do not like to think in that way with that amount of clarity. Some even today, the idea that a church would be made up of specific members, that we would know who follows Jesus and believes in him with us and who doesn't, is sort of prickly. It feels yucky to us, right? But it didn't to Paul. He clearly thought this way. There was clearly a clear in and a clear out of the body of Christ. And it's really important for us to understand this in order to make sense of what he's saying. Because for starters, this passage will not make nearly as much sense to us unless we want to see people rescued out of this world and into even local churches like our church and like the church that Paul was writing to. But more than that, this is also important because clearly in engaging with outsiders as a Christian can be fairly unintuitive, which is why we need wisdom to do it. Uh, you don't need wisdom to do things that are really simple and really straightforward. If your friend comes to you or you ask your friend, hey, hey, what are you doing, this, what are you doing today? And he says to you, well, I don't know, just, just mowing the lawn, I suppose. That's all I have to get done today. You're probably not gonna say to him, okay, I'm gonna pray that God would give you wisdom for that, right? You, you wouldn't say that because, frankly, you don't need wisdom to mow a lawn. It's really simple. You turn the thing on and you push it over the grass until it's all mowed. It's very simple. But engaging the outside world as a Christian is not simple or straightforward in this way at all. 
It can be very complicated and often unintuitive. And if we just charge ahead, giving it very little prayer and very little thought, we will almost certainly make a mess and do more harm than good. And Paul hints here towards at least two ways that we could do this, two ways that we could really make a mess of engaging the world. First, uh, we can waste time. We can waste a lot of time. Uh, On one hand, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders means recognizing the spiritual stakes in our world, and it means engaging unbelievers with those stakes in mind, engaging them with the appropriate sense of urgency. The truth is, church, we can't just afford to enjoy our lives and make a few friends here and there, maybe pray before meals, right? As Paul says in Ephesians 5, we need to make the best use of the time for, he says, the days are evil. So we need to understand and to steward the time that we've been given to make much of Christ in the way that we speak in a world that desperately needs him. This is really important work. The stakes are high. This should take time and effort and prayer from all of us. At the same time, in our urgency, we need to be very careful that we don't lack grace, graciousness. This is the second way we can blow it. Uh, We can let this sense of urgency drive us to be sort of harsh and ungracious as if the world just needs to shut up and get on our page, right? This is a real temptation for us, especially as we consider engaging the outside world. It can, it can get this way. It can get sort of defensive in that way, which is why next Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our speech should be marked by kindness and grace. Uh, as if we want to actually give life to others. Uh, it, it should be seasoned with salt. I love that. Which is to say, it should actually taste good to people who don't believe in Jesus. Even if they reject our message, they should get the sense that we're trying to do them good. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 3. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. Church, we should not assume that speaking with gentleness and grace means we are somehow compromising, as if uh, we are unwilling to speak with clarity on the real challenging issues of our day. That, That may be the case. Sure, that's possible. But the opposite, I think you can see here, is also very much a danger for us today, especially in these days of outrage, right? Where everybody wants to cancel everybody and everybody wants to cancel all the people for canceling everybody, my goodness, right? We, we can be so motivated by confrontation to just confront the world that we just run right ahead without much wisdom, without much prayer, saying many, many things, but not knowing how to answer each person. That requires wisdom. 
Many people either err on the side of just standing on their platform and yelling at the people who disagree with them, or if you're like many, uh, you, you just bristle at the idea of all that confrontation, and so you say nothing at all. But the truth is, engaging a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simple or straightforward. It requires wisdom. We need to devote time and prayer to the way we use our words in service of Christ. But two things I wanna see are really clear here. First is that we absolutely must speak of Christ with those who do not know him. We absolutely must. And also, it is never wise for us to do so in a harsh or dismissive way that lacks grace. Never. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think it's interesting what he says there. Not proceeding with grace and not proceeding with wisdom will mean you think you know <laughs> how to answer, but you're just running ahead and you're just doing it. The reality is the more you say, the less you know how to say it. He says that you may know how to answer everyone. So some of us may need to be encouraged toward urgency in the way that we engage the outside world, our unbelieving neighbors. Uh, the, the unbelievers in our life probably don't even know at all what we believe about Jesus, and frankly, we're kind of reluctant to go there with them. We tend to justify saying nothing about Christ because we don't want to say anything unwise. Uh, we don't want to push anyone away, and so what we do is we keep everyone really close to us but far from Christ, in our words. Uh, we engage with the world as if we're basically no different from the world, and we, spiritually speaking, have very little to offer the world. That could be the problem that this text is trying to address in you. Make the best use of the time. On the other hand, some of us may need to be encouraged towards graciousness in our speech. Uh, we're happy to say quite a bit, uh, on most topics even, but we rarely slow down to consider the wisdom in what we say and how we say it to whom and when. We tend to think that kind and measured speech is just a cop-out that soft people use to avoid saying hard things. It's clearly not the truth. Just because we have an answer for everyone every time, church does not mean it's the right word for that person at that time. It is foolish for us to assume that declaring Christ in all the world is really simple. All we need to do is tell people the truth, and if they can't handle it too bad, that's their problem. Listen, if we think that way with that sort of spiritual posture toward the world that God has sent us to, our speech will taste like sulfur rather than a well-seasoned steak. Let's speak with truth. Let's speak with clarity even, absolutely, but let's also speak with wisdom. And here's what I want us to see here. Wise speech is always gracious. There may be some Facebook comments we have to go back and delete. Maybe some prickly conversations we probably could stand to apologize for. There may be some unbelieving friends that frankly we just need to be much more patient with. But church, let's do it. Let's walk in wisdom and speak with grace as we declare Christ in all the world. And finally, after zooming out to give the Colossians these final instructions, Paul tells them why to take courage. And in particular, he wants them to take courage. He wants us, I think, to take courage because we are not alone in any of this. 
to wrap up the letter, Paul shares a number of farewell greetings. And including himself, he mentions 10 different people who are part of this mission to declare Christ in all the world. And it really, as we read this, it gives us a sense of how intimate and how personal the church's mission really was. Everyone knew each other. Uh, They knew what was going on in each other's lives and even each other's churches, and they were working together to preach Christ so that everyone could be made mature in him. Paul's basically saying in this final section, hey, I'm sending this letter with Tychicus. Uh, He'll give you an update that should encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Oh, oh, and there are plenty of others, by the way, who want to pass on their greetings as well. They love you guys. They care about your life together in Christ as a church. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. They're the only fellow Jews that I'm working with these days, which probably means, by the way, that the mission's working. The gospel's going out beyond Judea. I'm even pre- I'm equipping Gentiles even to declare the work of Christ. The word is advancing, but these three fellow Jews, these I listed, they're with me, these guys. They know me. They understand me. And he says, they have been a comfort to me. Oh, and hey, Epaphras, he says hello too. Epaphras was probably the pastor of this church, or at least the evangelist maybe that started it. Paul says that he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of, in all the will of God. For I bear Epaphras witness that he has worked hard for you and those in, in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. You see this network expanding? Oh, and by the way, that church in Laodicea, he says, which is the city over, uh, share this letter with them, would you? And ask them to share their letter with you because I wrote one to them as well. Oh, and Air, uh, what is his name? Archippus, who, who's a member of that church in Laodicea. Tell that guy to do that ministry that was entrusted to him by the Lord. Do you get, do you get the sense of how personal this whole thing was for Paul? And finally, he includes himself in this tight-knit family declaring Christ in all the world. He says, I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, he says. Remember that I'm in this with you too. Don't forget about me. Remember my chains for the kingdom of Christ. Grace, he says, be with you. So you can see every step of the way in this section, Paul is trying to encourage the Colossians by pointing out how many people in the church at large We're laboring along with them to see the church's mission fulfilled, to see Christ declared in all the world. And this, I think, was supposed to give them perspective about their maturity and why it really mattered and why it was so important for them to stay rooted in Christ because their life as a church was not just about them. There were many laboring with them to see Christ declared in all the world. There were many working hard to see more disciples made and more churches multiplied so that Christ can be all and in all. What I want us to see here is that one mark of Christ-like maturity is a genuine love for other faithful Christians and churches who are also laboring to see Christ declared in all the world. Do you have that love? Do you sincerely 
love and cherish churches like ours in our community and beyond that labor to declare Christ in all the world? Do they matter to you? This church, this ministry, does that matter for you here? Or is it just that you, you've managed to find a service you can go to that you like better than the other services in town? Do we have this heart for God's church as the word advances in all the world? Remember what Paul said back in chapter one. He said, we always thank God when we pray for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and he says, of the love you have for all the saints. This may seem a little odd to you or even unintuitive, but as a pastor, one thing I want to do more and more so even over the years is to commend other churches to us even right here in Milwaukee, maybe even especially right here in Milwaukee, so that we never start to develop this sense that we are the only healthy church around, that, that we are the only ones who really know how to declare the gospel and walk together in Christ. We do need to be watchful, right? Not every church that says they're doing that actually cares to do that much at all, sure. But when they do, we need to link arms with them. And we need to love them well and care deeply for them. This is why it's actually really important to me that we have guest preachers come and share here. Uh, like Patrick Tetzla, if you remember from um, just a few weeks back, who's an elder at Grace Church, our sending church. Uh, Dan Allen, who's a pastor at Crossway in Milwaukee. These brothers have come and preached here in, within just the last month or so. Uh, but we've had other pastors preach here as well. Pastors from Disciples Church in Lake Country, from Crossway Church in Bristol, from Harvest Church in Oak Creek. That's all by design. I think this is an important part of the health and life of our church. When we do have guest preachers come, please know the point of that is not just to give me a break from preaching. Uh, and it is not just a throwaway service either because maybe the preacher's just style is a little different or just, it just doesn't feel exactly like it does on a normal Sunday for us. But in some ways, those Sundays are an even greater celebration of the work that God is doing through his church because they remind us in a very practical way that there are many laboring with us in this mission. I hope that this love for other Christians and other churches will also help us to think a bit differently about church growth, even here as a church. I pray that it would compel us to send out church planters with teams of members from our church to start new churches, just like we've done here in the last three years, in different communities throughout the greater Milwaukee area. Let's pray that over time, we would have a growing list of names and churches like this one who we have a deep affection for and a personal connection with so that as we think of the reach of our church and the vision of our church, it extends far beyond just our church. That is the kind of vision Paul had to see the gospel advance. Now, on one hand, it's all very exciting. I love to think and pray about that. Uh, I, I think it will be a lot of fun as we pursue that vision together. I hope that you are excited and encouraged to see it take shape over time. On the other hand, we do have to remember the rest of this letter we've read. We do. Because what Paul has written here is vital to understanding how we should go about this work together. We don't need to reinvent church somehow. 
We don't need to find some innovative way to reach the masses. What we need, church, is to pray that God would open a door for the word. Uh, What we need is to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Uh, Mike Bullmore is the pastor of Crossway Church in Bristol, a church I mentioned. I I respect that church, and and even him in particular a great deal. There's something I've heard him say on three or four occasions that's always just been a huge blessing to me. It's super simple. He says it a lot. He just says, steady on. Steady on. There will always be plenty of distractions tempting us to drift in one way or another. There will always be an excuse to look for something better out there in the world. But church, there is nothing better than this Christ. He is all and in all. And he is the path to true spiritual maturity for us and for everyone else in all the world. And so let's pray that God would open a door for the word. Let's walk with wisdom toward outsiders and let's thank God for the many who labor with us to declare Christ in all. Let's pray together now. Father, we come to you grateful for what you have revealed to us in this letter, encouraged, built up, I trust, I hope, eager to stay rooted, eager to walk in you together in love so that Christ would be made all in all through us. Give us watchful hearts that continue steadfast in prayer. Help us to be wise with the time we have. Help us to walk with wisdom toward outsiders, God. And encourage us all the more that we are not in any of this alone. We have brothers and sisters in the city who are doing it with us. More than that, God, we have this great confidence and assurance of Christ's own words in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything, to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you that Christ is all in us, that Christ is all in our church, and help us then, therefore, to declare him in all the world. In Jesus' name, amen.